Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Today I want to talk about the gift of exaltation, and, and I, I've been thinking, well, what, what is it that, that Jesus receives through this? And I don't want to attach too much motivation in the sense that we have motivation, because it's, it's not trite, it's not weak, it's not, it's not very, you know, it's, it's, it's de- more depth than we would think, I'm sure. You know, sometimes we, we try to motivate each other with a, you know, kind of the you know, if you do this, something happens. If you eat your vegetables, you can have dessert, you know, that sort of thing. So it's more than just to get something, but there is something that the Father desired that the Son would receive, and it is to be exalted. Exalted means to be lifted up, to be brought to a higher place, a, a place of deeper and fuller recognition, to, to be on display, to be known as this wonderful person that He is. So He is exalted. You don't need to turn there. We'll be there in a little bit. But there's a verse that's found in Philippians 2 and verse 9, just a phrase of it, where it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. Part of that exaltation required that Jesus would humble himself and go through this thing we call the incarnation. You know, and sometimes we, you know, people that do what I do, we, we throw around these terms that we think everybody knows. And every once in a while we should pause and try to define them. Well, what does incarnation mean? Well, in Greek, the word carne means flesh. That's the reason, if, you, if you're familiar with this term, to be carnal means to be fleshly living. So to become incarnate means, means to become enfleshed, to become in human form, in a bodily form. I heard someone say years ago, and this does not fully capture the grasp, but it's certainly memorable for me, but he described Jesus as being God with skin on. Now, it was more than just a covering because he was fully man and fully God. But you understand, that at least communicates that he was in flesh. Why would Jesus become in flesh to become incarnate, to become one of us and enter the world in such a non-flashy way as to be laid in a manger and so forth? Well, that humility is part of what led to his exaltation. And I want to take you to a passage that we've looked at before, but it fits together in this little trio of passages I want to look at today. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. If you have a Bible available, I'd certainly encourage you to use it. If you have an electronic device, I'd encourage you to use that to follow on the Scriptures if you have access to that. If not, listen carefully and I'll read the Scriptures for us. Psalm 2. Here we find that the Son will have an inheritance. This part of this exaltation is an inheritance. Now, if you look down in verse 7, the last phrase of verse 7 gives us a clue that this refers to Jesus, the Messiah, and it also refers to the incarnation, Him becoming man and living among us, where it says, Today I have begotten you. Begotten is a term of, of to, to father or to, par- to be a parent of a child, to, to have an offspring. It has the idea, I and mean, us we'd say, you know, Julie and I, we have begotten together three children. And uh, that's, that's what that means. So when God says, today I've begotten you, you know that it means it is incarnational. It has to do with Christ's arrival. And yes, it even fits into the Christmas story. Now you might say, well, everyone else that is begotten has a beginning that begins with conception and moves forward. But we also know that Jesus was eternally God prior to the incarnation. 
He's eternally existing. He had all the attributes of God, fully God, and he became at the same time fully man. I don't understand. I don't think anyone else does either how he could be fully God and fully man all in one person, but that's what the scriptures teach us. And he came to be our Savior, came to live among us, to die for us, resurrected the third day, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and so forth. But there's a promise in the books in this text that we're going to look at. Now, the first six verses of chapter 2 of Psalm, Psalm 2, I should say, talks about the rebellion of man. The, the nations, the kings are, are raging against God and wanting to break the bonds and throw off all, all restraint. It is a poetic but very pointed way of describing the rebellion against the humankind against God. And friends, you and I have been part of that rebellion as well. Because anything that detracts from God, anything that anyone, any one point that we disobey God, part of that. Now you recall when Adam and Eve were created and placed in this paradise, the Garden of Eden, they were living in, in this wonderful place until Satan comes and then tempts them. They had been given previously by God what we call the dominion mandate. You, you take dominion over this earth and over the, the living things and you fill the earth and you tend it and make it even more beautiful, more organized and more suitable for a place for you to live. But when they fell into sin, in essence, they handed the keys of that dominion over to Satan. That's the reason he's called in scriptures with a small g, the God of this world. He exerts his influence in this world. So that's where we find ourselves. But God makes this promise beginning in verse 7. I love how it begins. I will declare the decree. And it seems like it should have sound effects with it. When you, I declare the decree. A decree is a formal statement. It's sort of a contract, a legal document that this is true. This is the way it's going to be. This is what's going to be carried out. And God says, I have declared it. What God declares, he always has the ability to fulfill. There is no review. There is no... Uh, loopholes in the text. I will declare decree. This is the way it will be. The Lord said to me, you are my son. So father, son in, in, in view. Today I have begotten you. Well, what is this decree? What is this declared decree? Well, it's a decree of inheritance. You see it here in the text, verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. All you have to do is just ask me, and all of the nations, all the kingdoms, this is your inheritance. Now, we also know that in a literal sense on this earth, the kingdoms of this world, verses 1 through 6 of the same psalm, are still raging against God. There is still rebellion. And if you don't see rebellion on every case, on every hand, you're not looking very hard. Because there's, the rebellion continues. But the promise is someday, and I take this exactly literally, just as literal as the, the black ink on white paper of our Bibles is simply this, that one day he will be given on this earth literally a kingdom which will overtake and encompass all the kingdoms of the world and he will rule and paradise will be restored. It'll be, it'll be like going back to the Garden of Eden and Christ will rule and he will reign. He describes that reign in the next verse. He shall break them with a rod of iron. He shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's the rebels that he's talking about there. And you think of an iron rod and a clay pot. That's the two things he sets up in that verse. And with his power and his ability, it's just as simple and easy and just as overwhelming as a clay pot getting hit by a metal rod, smashed and destroyed. All those things and people and systems will be broken. You shall break them with a rod of iron, he says. And then in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, he gives some advice. 
And this is where the word becomes living for us today, okay? This is where it becomes for us. So he uses that imagery. He said, you need to come and treat God as God, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. And then verse 12 ends with a beatitude. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Let me just repeat. Let me circle back and give you this one more time. The exaltation of Christ is what Christ receives by him humbling himself and becoming incarnate. He he has been promised that he will receive an inheritance. The inheritance is going to encompass the ends of the earth and all the kingdoms of the world. How should we respond? We treat him with respect. We treat him with love. And blessed is everyone who puts their trust in him. Simply say this. We need to trust him. How do we express that trust? You might find this hard to believe if you know my father. Because he's a man that is, especially in a public setting, very few of words. Uh, I did not get that trait from him, I don't think. But uh, in a little town that we grew up in, he was elected to be on the town council. I still don't know why a city of about 800 people needed a mayor and a town council, but we did. And we elected one, and they did what. But I remember when he went on town, town council as a, as a youngster, I remember he would receive calls. There's a dog barking, and there's, the trash is this, and you know people calling, and you're on the town council. You're supposed to fix this stuff. You're, the rule, you're in charge, right? And I always found that fascinating. And, and I, as I recall, I think he served two terms and and uh, until maybe got tired of the trash calls in the, in, in the evenings. But when someone's in charge, when someone's a ruler, you, you petition to them for help. We do that. We, we call our officials. We write our congressmen, our senators, or whatever, our mayor. You know, that's just, they're, they're in charge. We ask for help. Friends, the one that we can trust in is eager for us to ask for help. This should be, that we should pray since he is Lord. Just come to him when, when we have needs. You got some needs today? You, you feel a little tired? You feel a little overwhelmed? You feel, are you hurting? Are you discouraged? You come to him in prayer and ask for help. Everything going well and you feel fear, full of joy and good cheer and everything's going well, come to him and praise him for that. Perhaps a rare moment of blessing in your life. You have questions? Anyone lacks, lacks wisdom? Let him ask of God. You come and you ask. You ask for direction. You ask for help. You ask for whatever you need. Come to him in prayer. You know, one of the fears I have about us, don't mean to be too judgmental, but maybe I am. Fears I have for us is we talk more about prayer than we, talk, than we actually talk to God in prayer. Oh, I'll pray for you, pray for you. I'm going to pray, pray. Yeah, please pray. We will pray. Would you all pray? But make sure we pray. Make sure we pray. You, t- you type on someone's post online, I'll pray for you. Make sure you pray. You have a need, pray. Your family has some needs, pray. God delights when his children come for him. And the grand news, great news is, and the grand reality is, he is more than able to give you whatever help you need. And to give you what you need, not always, not always what you want, but what you need. Pray. Let's be people of prayer. As it says, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And I don't think there's any, any greater way to express trust than to come to him and we just talk to him in prayer. Turn, if you will, to our next stop on our tour, Luke chapter 1. A passage that certainly intersects the whole Christmas narrative. Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 31 if you want to find a marker to be at the right place. But in the preceding verses, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to Mary, living in Nazareth. Nazareth, And uh, he comes and he says, highly favored one, blessed are you among women, and so forth, gives this great salutation. And then he begins... 
what it's just, I would call a little monologue from God, okay? Here's everything I'm sent to tell you. And he just starts and he doesn't let up till he finishes. It's sort of, it sounds almost like before you leave heaven, here's the script. Go read this. Make sure you get it all in. He memorizes it and then he just starts in 31. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Done. Finish the memo. And Mary asked the question in the next verse. How can this be since I have not been with a man? And you understand. We're all adults here in the room. You all understand this. The most basic designation that you could say is everybody that exists, it requires a father and a mother. Okay? Even if that's biologically true, even if that father and mother weren't there with you to raise you or whatever, it requires a father and a mother, and she understands that, and there's no father in this equation that you just spelled out. So the angel goes on and tells her this is going to be a God thing. The Spirit's going to overpower you, and you are going to conceive, and fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament, the prophecy of the Old Testament, that a, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. This is, this is a sign. But I want you to go back to a little bit of that monologue, if you will, of what he says. In verse 31, he says, you should bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. We would translate it in the Old Testament, Joshua. Joshua of the Old Testament had that same name from Hebrew. We say it in English, Jesus, for the way we would designate it because we speak a different language. But that name literally means God saves or God's salvation. That's what Yeshua, Jesus, means. Think about that. The perfect name. He was designated by a name. It was a God-given name. Didn't come through family. Didn't come through some research. Here's the name. You call his name Jesus. An angel showed up to, to, uh, to Joseph in the book of Matthew. And that angel said to him, you should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's built in. Every time, you know, Mary, what's your son's name? His name is God Saves. Joseph, who's that kid hanging around your carpenter shop? His name is God's salvation. It just was repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. 32, he will be great exaltation. And he will be called the son of the highest exaltation. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, exaltation. It's already all about him, this, this one that's going to be born, laid in a manger, adored by the shepherds, wise men later come to visit, that whole story. It, it, this one is now the, going to be the exalted one. And it says, we'll give him the throne of his father David. Now, both Luke and Matthew give genealogies leading up to Jesus. In both cases, the genealogies are very clear to assert and to show and to prove and authenticate that Jesus was a descendant of King David. Because King David was also given promises, we don't have time to get into them in any depth, but given promises that his dynasty, his kingdom would not end. Now, David would not always be on the throne, but a descendant would be ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And, and he says to Mary, he's going to rule on the throne of his father, David. But there's one more aspect of this exaltation, which is in 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Jacob is another name for Israel. Over this house, Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Everyone that's ever served as a king, prime minister, prince, president, legislator, whatever, they either serve till the end of their term or till they resign or they die. But there are term limits, one, one of those three ways. In every, every ruler that's ever lived, 
there are, there are term limits by one of those three mechanisms. Except this ruler. Except this one. He will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. Talk about exaltation in a category all by himself, in a, in a situation that's never duplicated, never rivaled. The son will have an eternal kingdom. Now, this kingdom that he's talking about here is, is a kingdom that, there's a part of the kingdom that, that we don't see. I understand that. It's sort of, you know, we're all part of that. We are the expression of that kingdom in the church. But friends, if you take the word of God literally as we certainly seek to do, if these words mean as they say, if we interpret them correctly, you have to have the reality that Christ will return someday to this earth, land his feet on the Mount of Olives, that he will go into Jerusalem and on the throne of David from that locale rule this earth. John the Apostle said it will last for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, the earth is remade and the heavens are remade, but the kingdom of Christ will continue on unabated forever. We live in a world where, where fads, even in theology, come and go. You know, there's always fads. I saw some pictures of some of my friends back in the 70s when I was a teenager. We were out of our minds with the way we looked. It was just like, oh, we, we dressed that way? We looked that way? I guess maybe every generation feels that way to some, to some degree. But there's fads in theology. One of the things that has fallen out of style and, and some of my, uh, I have friends, and we're still friends, we still believe in Jesus, but this little thing of theology, that, that to, to believe that the future kingdom of Christ is not real, literal, and on this earth. It's somehow spiritual, or it somehow is fulfilled in the church today. And Friends, if this is the kingdom of Christ today that's predicted in the Bible, it doesn't match. The, 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 the rebels are still in charge, and the rebellion still goes on. The king has not come and smashed the, the rebels like a rod of iron in a clay, clay pot. So it's going to be literal. It really will t- take place. And if you understand Scripture that way, it may not be the popular thing to believe, but it's certainly, I think, the scriptural thing to believe because I, I see it in Scripture. And it's part of this inheritance. He's going to inherit an eternal kingdom. Well, what should we do with that in our expression and maybe the unseen reality of that kingdom waiting his return? Well, I just say simply this. We serve since he is Lord. He is Lord. He's in charge. Last Monday, we hosted here, partnering with Union Mission, the, the toys that were given away. And we're thankful for many people who donated toys through the Tower of Toys program that Channel 8 does, our TV station. And many of the toys were given as a gift through the Greenbrier. They'd have to do, do a toy thing every year. they come here. Union Mission brings it all together. But we, we, we served as the host. And, and, and many of you that are in the room came and served. Thank you for your serving. Not everybody could come, and I understand that. But, but those that come, I just want to say thank you because it just shows in one small way how all of us can serve. And you might think, I didn't do much. I didn't have a big role to play. But collectively, we accomplished something good. About 100 to 120 families came, and they heard the gospel. And Pastor Adam shared both services, a very powerful gospel message. There were some people who responded. We praised the Lord for that. And uh, we sang Christmas songs. We had a little worship time. And, and then families that, that have needs who go in and select toys for their kids to give at Christmas time. And we think, what a wonderful thing. And, and just said, thank you. Know, God, it's the grace of God that, you know, I've, I've never had to go to somebody else to ask for them to buy toys or gifts for me to give to my family. But... There are people that are in very precarious situations, and we could do that. And there were some of you that, because we, we heard this, some of you took vacation days 
vacation day to come here and serve. Bless you for that. Now, there's all kinds of ways to serve. And if you were part of that or you prayed, thank you for being a part of that. But one of the things that I'm excited about as we go into the new year is we're, we're, gonna, we're doing some retooling and some organization to give even more opportunities for people to serve. And there's great opportunities. And I simply want to encourage you to do this. When an opportunity to serve is presented, at least consider it. Don't go into the mode, well, that means somebody else. But at least consider and pray about, Lord, is this somewhere where you want me to serve? And it has to fit your abilities, your opportunities, your giftedness. We don't all do everything. Have you noticed? I'm still waiting. Rich has never asked me to come sing yet. Not that happening. That's because he's a very smart man. That's not my giftedness. Okay? So we all have different gifts. So if it's not where you fit, find a place to fit. But just find, just be willing to say, Lord, is this, this, this opportunity for me? And then serve the Lord with gladness. What an amazing thing. That God could work through us. That we could be his hands, his eyes, his lips, his heart, his feet. To minister to people and most of all, share the gospel. That changes not just the life, but changes eternity for everybody if they put their faith in him. So let's serve. We serve this Lord because he has an eternal kingdom. We're going to go to where I alluded that we would end. Go to Philippians chapter 2. What a wonderful section of scripture that talks about the exaltation of our Lord. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 7 in just a moment, but I'm going to go ahead and read 5 and 6. It says, Let this mind be in you as also in Christ Jesus, who being form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he says, think like Jesus like thinks and act like him because he humbled himself. And here's all this about his humbling. It says in verse uh, 6 that he can, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was in fashion, form as in God. He was God. That word robbery, it's really difficult to translate. You might have a translation that uses a different word. But basically, he he was willing to give up. He he released his grasp on the prerogatives of the divine, of being God. And the next verse, it says, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. You think of all the things you would give up. we, we, We really would be reluctant to give up our reputation, our good name. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, incarnation. God was skin on and fleshed. And that's celebrated at this time. That's not the totality of his, of, his, of his ministry among us. And in a few short verses, a few short phrases, he gives the entire ministry of Christ here, earthly ministry of Christ. And being found in appearance of a, as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Death is not something that God has ever had experience with personally apart from Christ entering his humanity. And that's the, that seems like that should be the lowest point of the humility scale, but it is not because he adds one further statement where it says, even the death of the cross. Not just to die, not just to be under the sentence of death, the experience of death, but the most horrible death that could ever be devised by the humankind. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. He died in our place. And he died for you. He says in these next two verses, the exaltation. And we understand that exaltation in time frames began three days later when some women went to the tomb to finish what they couldn't get done before the... the, Sabbath began. 
And they didn't find a body, they didn't find a corpse, they found a tomb that was evacuated and a stone that was rolled away. It continued 40 days later when the disciples were gathered on a mountain and Jesus talked with them. And when the time came for him to depart, he ascended, just bodily ascended into heaven. And then a couple angels peering down appeared with another scripted message. And I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. But he says, Jesus, in the same manner he went up, he will return. Literally, in no uncertain terms of this world. And he will reign and rule over that unending kingdom. So it says in these next two verses, Therefore God has highly exalted him. What does Jesus receive by coming into this thing of humanity, this plan of redemption? He was exalted. He was lifted up. He was raised. Highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Every name. Whatever name you want to put on the list, whatever list you want to use, whatever criteria you want to use, Jesus is at the top of this list. There are celebrities. I was reading about one recently uh, from, from years ago. I was sort of reading this, I was reading this biography, a brief biography. And this particular actress was very famous in her day. And then it listed all the people that she had hired around her to be her publicity team. You hire a team to stay famous after you get famous. And you hire a team to keep, make you even more famous than you were after you become famous. And we say, that we kind of chuckle at that. And we say, that's, that's the height of vanity, I guess. But I guess that's how you make your living by fame. You've got to be more famous. But whoever is on that list, he's the highest name. A name which is above every name. Next verse. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And by the way, that's the only places people could be. Where any creature that's created could be. The name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That confession you see in that verse, and this is our response, just need to confess that he is Lord. He is Lord. That will happen in one of two ways. Either as his children who are redeemed, blood-bought, sealed with the Holy Spirit, brought into God's presence, part of his kingdom forever, will in praise say, Jesus is Lord. And we will add our voices, and we do add our voices to the statement of exaltation or the extreme opposite those who refuse those who continue with the rebellion those who reject and refuse Christ's offer of salvation someday in judgment will stand before him as Lord and have to confess what it will be true and known and believed by them even as they face impending unending judgment we'll still have to say that Jesus is Lord Satan, who always wanted to be equal with God. And you remember all those kingdoms of the world, right? Satan offered Jesus the same thing, right? Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to go through humiliation, and you can get it now. And we are very impatient people. I think any of us would have succumbed to that temptation because we're very good at succumbing to temptation, aren't we? But he refused. But someday even Satan himself who wants to just be 
seen as equal with God will have to say that Jesus is Lord because he is. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed him as your Savior, you've never asked him and trusted him as your Savior, we'd love to help you come to the Savior. Don't, don't let life's absolutely, without any question, most important decision be something that you dismiss and bat away. We'll take care of that some other way, some other time. And maybe you just need to have a conversation. I'd love to have a conversation with you. One of our, you know, Christian friend could have it. But if you need Christ and you need help in making that decision of faith, you, you, you enter in with somebody that can help you. We'll be glad to do that. Brother or sister in Christ, we ultimately will spend eternity confessing that Jesus is Lord. Let's confess him as Lord now. Let's just, just confess him as Lord anytime you get the opportunity. Someone gives you a compliment. Well, yeah, that was a really nice thing you did. Well, I thank the Lord for the opportunity. He's the Lord. He, he gave me the resources, whatever it is. Insert in your conversation credit for what he does and the great things he does. People might think you're strange. But if you're saying Jesus is Lord, it is always accurate. Always accurate. Let's confess him as Lord. Therefore, God has highly exalted him an inheritance all the kingdoms of the world. An eternal kingdom, one that's not going to end, no term limits. And he's been given the highest name. Let's continue our joyous and continual confession that he is Lord. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.